Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You notice David didn't say, you know what, cancel it, forget it. I didn't know your armor was too big. I I thought I had this you're going to have to find somebody else. No, he just took the armor off. (laughs) This is just like God, isn't it? For God to take man's very best things and render them absolutely useless. You're not going in there with that. You're going in there with me. You ever do your best, your very best, and you built all this stuff. God, here's the best. And God goes, nope. And the first thing you want to do is get mad. But I did all that. I got all... God's like, look, you don't go by that. You go by what I give you. And he did that with David. The the armor is completely useless. The Lord wanted everybody to see his power, not man's power. He didn't want anybody after the battle to go, you know what? It's that armor that did it. It's that armor, Saul's armor. That's what made the difference. Man, if I had armor like that, I could do that. No, God's like, no, you're going to get rid of all this because we're going to make sure everybody recognizes that I, the Lord, enabled you to do this. And that's why I want to go to Isaiah 42.8. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. That's the whole reason why that armor didn't work. God is going to show people, this is me, not you. And so David had to take the armor off. Because God was going to prevent anyone from ever saying, yeah, there's that awesome armor. Yeah, that armor's what pulled it off. That armor made all the difference. No, God is going to make this a clear-cut case that it's all him and nothing else. 1 Samuel 17 and 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He ain't wasting no time. (laughs) Let's get this done. Christians, let's get God's work done. Let's get out there and do it. Thank y'all for being here, by the way. But let's get it done. (laughs) Now, this is a seriously brave guy. Now, choosing brook stones... That's stones in the river. The water would have smoothed them down. There's a lot of good reasons for the smooth stones. It would have made them aerodynamic so they could, they could really hurl it faster and they'd really sail, you know. And this is David coupling his works with his faith. He already declared the victory was going to happen, but now he's out there acting on it. He couldn't just say, okay, Lord, I'll go out there, but you strike him down with a bolt of lightning or something while I just look good. He actually is putting in the effort to go and do the job. 
This is faith and works working together. Now, the reason I say this, faithfulness of David, is because a lot of Christians... They often pray for the Lord to save souls. Oh, Lord, save souls. Oh, Lord, draw the people. But they refuse to equip themselves to go out. They won't equip themselves and go out to do the work. Go out and share the gospel. Go out and tell people about Jesus. Equip. Know the word. Know the verses that talk about the gospel so that you know what you're saying. Go out there with your sword. Go out there with the word of God. Don't just sit back and say, God, deal with it. Because David would have done that. Lord, deal with Goliath. I'll sit out here up close looking brave. No, he grabbed stones and he ran out there. I'm going to do this. Christians, we need to be like that. We need to be bold to do the work of the Lord. He knows the victory is sure. He knows God's going to act. But he also knows he has his own responsibility in the situation as well. Now, this gets pretty interesting here from here out. People have asked me, why did he pick five stones? Was he afraid he was going to (laughs) miss? You can see, I'm not going to knock the question because it's a valid question. If you're that sure, pick one stone. Wham, gotcha. Why did he pick five? There's some possibilities to this that I want to go over. The reason I want to go over the possibilities is because it is not a lack of faith. So, God never told David that Goliath would fall in the first throw. He's just being prepared. Be prepared. Be very prepared. It's okay to be over-prepared. But not only that, David did not know that after knocking Goliath down, would other Philistines attack him too? He's out there in the middle of the valley. He needed maybe a few more stones to fend off a few more Philistines until the rest of Israel rallied down to get behind him. That's good preparation as well. But... There's also one other possibility why David took five stones, and this one is very interesting. One reason why he may have taken five stones is because we have more information later in 2 Samuel, when David is a lot older, that David goes out again to fight against four Philistine giants. I said four. We know the story about David and Goliath. How many people remember the one where he went and fought four? Okay, he did. He went and fought four. Let me show you. And these four giants were related to Goliath. Remember, I told you to remember where Goliath was from. He's from where? He's from Gath. 2 Samuel 21, 22. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Okay. How many giants do we have in the story? Five. How many stones did David grab? Five. Ooh, are you seeing this? Did David have a lack of faith? Maybe he was being overprepared. Maybe he was thinking he wouldn't fall on the first one. Maybe David was thinking he was going to go out and take down five giants that day instead of just one. Woo, this just got big. (laughs) I'm just giving you valid possibilities based on biblical truth on why David chose five stones. Some people see him taking five stones as a lack of faith, but I think it's quite the opposite. I think that David could have considered the fact he was going to face five giants. And now this could be now five times the faith that we originally saw of just facing Goliath. I mean, after all, it does say in 2 Samuel that he went after these other four giants. So could we just cut David a, a break? He's already out there. Nobody else is going, oh, is that a lack of faith? No, 
He's, <laughs> he's going to do possibly bigger than what we originally thought. These other four giants may have been around, and David was preparing to take them if they came out too. Wow. First uh, Samuel seventeen forty one. So the Philistine came and, and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, "Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, (laughs) You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That is strong language, friends. Verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This is a faithful guy. He's ready to get her done. Now, you could almost make a whole sermon on that alone. Goliath took confidence in what? Goliath took confidence in himself and in all his hardware. But what did David take confidence in? He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies, the God of heavenly military. That's what David's taken his confidence in. And I think this is why the nation of Israel is small today. You ever look at the world map and say, find Israel. If you don't already know where Israel's at, it's hard to find. It's a speck. And I think this is why the nation of Israel is small, because they're having to face off against all these other giant nations that are taunting it. Because God has set another stage like he did with David and Goliath. He set another stage, but this one's on a global scale. The same stage that we see in 1 Samuel 17 that's going to prove to everybody that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You want to know why all the nations are against Israel the way they are and why Israel's so small that all these giant nations with all these nukes and everything are taunting it? For the same reason that's going on with David and Goliath, so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That's why it's the same scenario as David and Goliath, just a global scale. 1 Samuel 17, 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David walked slowly and reluctantly. No, it says David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. (laughs) If I could have seen that. (laughs) I saw a little cartoon, this dude threw it and went, no, that's not what happened. It did not ricochet. It went in. 
That means the stone went into his brain, guys. Down went Goliath. And I'll, be, I'll bet that because of the shock, also the Philistines' jaws hit the ground too as hard as he did. They couldn't believe what they just saw. I did some research on bronze helmets of that era because I, I just like to dig. Because it says the stone went into his forehead. And what I found of all the, the, the helmets of that day is that the, the helmets covered the forehead. Now, how, how did this work? I mean, it's like, you know, and I think there was a, maybe most likely a nose piece. That, so you're, you're like this. You're covered up. You've got some space for your eyes. There's some bronze pieces that come along your cheeks. I mean, you're covered up except where to look through. So how did David's stone get driven into Goliath's forehead? Well, the first obvious answer is that it probably went right through the bronze. I don't know. But there's some other things to consider, too. Let's look at the information we've been given, and let's do some calculating. Because I like geometry and stuff. Okay. It says, David ran to meet the Philistine, it says. And also, Goliath drew near to David. Okay, so that means they're close to each other. When you consider how much shorter David was than Goliath, I believe he slung the stone upwards. You got this helmet that covers the forehead and the nose piece. That accuracy had to come in through one eye right into the forehead. Not only was David's armor unusable, but so was Goliath's. was unusable too. That stone, I believe, came in through one of the eye spaces of the helmet. And it came in just underneath the edge of the helmet and sank into his forehead. This means that David's smallness actually served as a strategic advantage against tall Goliath. I don't think he did the sling like a helicopter. I think he did it like this to where the stone could go up. Also, besides David's smallness being a great advantage in strategy that only the Lord of armies could design, the text says that Goliath fell down on his face, which leads me to believe they weren't at a distance from each other. Like if y'all were in the back of the room and I hit you with a stone, it would knock you on your back. It says Goliath fell on his face. So I believe if that stone come in up underneath the protection of the helmet, Goliath fell face down. I'm just looking at the physics and the proximity, and I'm just trying to do some calculations here of what happened. Because it says, Dave, it says that Goliath had a helmet. David was right close up underneath, enabled by the power of God to hurl the stone fast enough and accurate enough to make Goliath the Godmocker suffer the greatest military embarrassment of all human history. And he fell down, face forward, with a stone in his head. 1 Samuel 17, 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherim, even as far as Gath, their own home territory, as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. 
So David takes Goliath's armor. Oh, I'm taking this stuff. <laughs> he takes his armor and he puts it in his own house, maybe so it could serve as a testimonial proof to other people. You did not kill Goliath. Yeah, I do. I got his armor right there. Look. Where else would you get armor of that size, of that quality? Of course I did. It's kind of a confirmational proof when he's telling people about it. Uh, in fact, four chapters from now, Goliath's sword turns up in the sanctuary. We see David at the sanctuary, and, he, and, he, and the priest goes, Hey, here's the, the sword of, Goli- of Goliath, the guy you killed. How did Goliath's sword get there in the sanctuary? Well, apparently, David dedicated some of Goliath's things to the sanctuary, to the sanctuary of the Lord as a symbol of his thankfulness. And the Lord gave the sword back to David later when David needed a sword. (laughs) Pretty cool. So David carries this big bloody head to Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine this? You're carrying this bloody head, probably facing everybody so they could see who it is. This ain't just anybody's head. This is Goliath. And he's carrying this big old head. What a sight. To Jerusalem so that he could claim his victory to the king. 1 Samuel 17, 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. You might be wondering why Saul asked who David was after David had already served as his harp player. Well, a little bit of time has passed since then. Uh, David was maybe 10 to 12 years old when he was Saul's musician. And by this time of the giant, he may have been 17 or 18 years old by the time he killed Goliath. He may have facial hair by now. Saul may just not know who he is. But it's also possible that Saul remembered David, but this is why he didn't ask for David's name. Maybe Saul already knew who he was, but it says that Saul wanted to know more about his family line. He asked him, whose son are you? He didn't ask him his name. He said, who's your dad? What's your line? He asked that kind of information. Who's your dad? So I see several points of application in this story. Goliath was very proud in his weaponry and in his his stuff. How many of you have stuff? Well, I've got a big 401k. It's this big. When I retire, I'll be able to sit and just take it easy for years. And you're confident in that 401k is going to hold you up rather than God. I'm not knocking 401k. I have a 401k. But I'm saying, do you take pride and comfort and security in your stuff? Or are you looking at other things of God? Um, oddly... The Israelites, they were also looking at wealth and stature, the, 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 the what we get out of it if we kill Goliath. They were, it was building their pride up. And they had their pride so pumped up by their stuff that when the man of God walked on the scene, they taunted him. You see what happens when you take confidence in your things. You could have a man or a woman of God step right in your presence and you'll never know it because you won't see it. We need to remember who provides for us. God could bring a person of God right into your midst, and you'll never know it. You'll miss the blessing. You'll miss what they have to tell you because your mind is fixated on the big dollar bill rather than the Lord. 
We know that Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But probably the major theme here is how David was told repeatedly, you can't do this. You can't do this. I know everybody in the room. Some of you are bigger than me. Some of you are smaller than me. But it doesn't matter. Everybody in the room, you have some little thing hanging in your mind that says, yeah, you've got all this going for you, but this one thing, it prevents you from doing it. You can't do it. The enemy tells you, you can't do it. I'm not enough this. I'm not enough that. I want to show you why God set David up to take down a giant. Because of 1 Corinthians 1.27. It says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. This verse is why I'm a pastor. If you had known me a long time ago, you would have thought, no way. No way I could be pastoring today. This is why God did this. I got saved by Jesus. I've got all these deficiencies. I'm not good enough. If anybody tells you you're not good enough, yeah, I'm not. Go ahead and agree with them. Don't fight that. But by the power of God, I can do a lot of great things. David says, I I don't come to you with a javelin and a spear and all this stuff. I come to you with the power of God. So don't let people knock you down because you're not good enough. Well, you're not. But with Jesus Christ, you're more than conquerors. God did not ever call superhumans. He calls the weak. He calls small people like you and me. So whatever your smallness is, say, yeah, I got smallness. And look what David did. I got a giant out there somewhere that's going to fall. Like David, God's calling on your life will not be popular. It won't be popular. And at times, people will stand against you like David's own brothers did, trying to tell you how small you are, trying to tell you all the reasons why you can't do it. And if you listen to them, you won't. But if you listen to God, you will. It's called discernment. Who do I listen to and who do I not listen to? Your smallness could very well be exactly the strategy that God has chosen to cause your victory. Remember David's smallness, what that did? So don't get upset when people strip you of your strength and take your things away. Remember, David tossed his armor aside. We have to remember that the battle does not belong to us. The battle belongs to the Lord. Psalm twenty-one, thirteen: Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Today the world tells you it's your strength that matters. No, it's not. It's about the strength of the Lord, His. The story of David and Goliath is an example of how God's power can work through us. And sometimes, though, this does involve us being put through trials to test our faith, just like David was. James 1 and 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Guys, your trials is not just to make you miserable. Your trials are to test your faith. You can face that giant. Who are you listening to? Listen to the Lord. It's by His power. You are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.